From the high desert in far east-west Texas, this is the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. Welcome, I'm Robert Seidman, and uh, joining me on the High Desert Hotline today is Sports Illustrated's Richard Deitch. I don't think I'd be doing uh, this podcast if not for Richard, and I've had a lot of fun with the podcast so far. Sir Richard, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. <laughs> Well, it's good to be here, Robert. First of all, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm incredibly thrilled that you have me uh, behind not only uh, Oran and Austin Carp, but an ESPN PR person. So you now, really think highly of me, so that's exciting. Well, you, you, got, uh, you, got, you, you went after Derek, but uh, you're coming in before Ben. He wound up uh, rescheduling, so uh, at least I didn't have two ESPN PR guys before you. Um, yes, well, I, in all seriousness, I, I appreciate the uh, invite, and as you know, uh, I'm a huge admirer of what you've done. Uh, with your site and your ratings and you um yeah you've 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 been an objective even though you have your pov generally speaking an objective observer of uh sports media particularly on linear television and i got great respect for that thanks very much so speaking of that let's just can, can we talk about uh can we talk about the bayless tweets of course Okay, so uh, for for the you know for my brother who'll probably be the only one who's not aware of this stuff, uh, the uh, you know Richard started this year. Uh, anytime uh, uh, Bayless tweeted, uh, you know stuff like uh, Le- LeBron lacks the clutch gene, uh, R- Richard would uh, Richard tweets out uh, ratings comparisons for Undisputed versus many other shows. And uh, those tweets have been mostly, I think, extremely well-received. I think you, you have some naysayers. Uh, but the, the response to them, as far as I can tell, is, is pretty phenomenal. And, and just to put my, my POV out there, uh, you know, I am, I am okay with, with uh, anything being on TV as long as, as long as I get to choose what I watch. Uh, but I'm also very okay with, with, with the tweets uh, about Bayless, because I think one of your major roles is as, as a media critic, and uh, I see it as a, a form of a media criticism in the social media age, which works very well. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I, interestingly enough, I, I don't I, I don't see myself as a media critic. I understand full well that there would be people who use that term, and that's their right. They could call it that. I, I, I see myself as. Um, someone who's assigned to cover sports media or write a reporter who covers sports media. And then within that framework, Sports Illustrated has given me the flexibility to offer opinion, offer commentary. Uh, my Twitter feed is sort of, I think, its own unique enterprise because I feel like that um, is something I own and my employer doesn't own, even though right. I have to, you know, I have to be respectful of what, um, of, the, of where I work and obviously not put my employer in any kind of uh, position. So that's, you know, I mean, not that I think anybody cares about how I would classify myself, but uh, I never really liked the word critic it's just because I think when I think of critic, I think of somebody who reviews Broadway shows or food. I think it's a very specialized thing, and one of the things I've really tried hard to do is to report right. um, in the space, to break news and um, to offer analysis on that breaking news. Now, all that said, um, the Bayless stuff, <laughs> I have to be honest with you, I mean, in a million years I would not have thought it would have taken on uh, a life of its own, and it's going to be pretty embarrassing on my tombstone, but I'll probably be as well-known for that as any story I've done, which you know, I'm sure my parents will be incredibly proud. Um, but the, the reason I do it is not because of Skip Bayless. 
And I think a lot of there, and when you say naysayers, honestly, probably like 150, 100 to one in terms of positive, negative, which is an incredible yeah. percentage on Twitter. But the reason I do it is to make a larger point about um, what this kind of how this kind of stuff has been enabled over the years by ESPN and Fox Sports management, and that's essentially kind of like the wrestling heelization of particular athletes for monetary or to monetize uh, this kind of, um, I would say, inaccurate or unfair outrage. Uh, I, I started it in October of 2016 because it was, I think if I remember right, it just was like, a, Skip Bayless has always used LeBron James as a foil to make a lot of money. I mean, right. that's just the reality of it. And I think at one point he just sort of went off and off and off, and I just decided, you know, most people, I mean, you know this, Robert, but most people in who follow uh, sports media just have no idea how little um, amount of viewers really watch these shows compared to, as you know, anything else. And so I thought to myself, like, what would be like the most kind of ridiculous comparison? And that would be to compare one of this first take or undisputed like shows to children's shows, which I know and you know do incredible numbers in the morning or the afternoon, yep. but I didn't think the public would know. I didn't think the public would have any sense of like, you know, bubble guppies or Paw Patrol or Mickey and Roadsters. I mean, these shows do sometimes over a million consistently day after day. Yep. And I did, I don't even remember the first one I did and I did it. And like, literally it was like 500, 600 retweets. Yep. And I was like, my God, like I, I may have stumbled on something here. I kept doing it and it was just getting incredible engagement Obviously, my own ego takes over in that. It's fun to see people really get into it. I love the fact that it's, if I could bother at least one executive at one of these places, that makes me happy. The people who think I'm somehow attacking well, – I take that back. It certainly is attacking. But the people who somehow think that like I, I care at all if Skip Bayless sees it or not, I don't. I, in fact, I admire his discipline. He's never responded. He certainly knows about it. I mean, I know his agent very well. I know the person who hired him at Fox very well. I know he's well aware of this stuff as his, his colleagues. But I, interestingly enough, I admire the fact that he's so on brand that he's never responded. But the reason I do it is now twofold. One, it's certainly a fun little shtick, and I would never argue otherwise. I'm very self-aware of it. It's just I'm sort of laughing as I do it. I'm not sitting in a corner somewhere angry with a Skip Bayless doll and I'm sticking pins <laughs> in it. And secondly, honestly, I do it because I'm hoping – just like for literally like 20 seconds, it is bothering someone at Fox Sports Management that I'm putting out these numbers. That is the real honest reason. And if you want to call me, you know, a 12-year-old or if you want to call me cynical, I'll take it. That's fine because what those guys have done in terms of monetizing these attacks on LeBron James and Aaron Rodgers is just ridiculous. And, yes, they're famous. And, yes, you could say it comes with the territory. But – what Bayless does and people like Bayless do, I think, really is an insult to people who I work with at Sports Illustrated and at ESPN and at legit places who, when they are criticizing, they at least try to do that criticism based on some kind of analysis or based from some kind of uh, intellectual or reported place. So that's the reason I do it. And if you want to dislike that, I totally respect that. But I can promise you. You know, I'm not walking down the street every day thinking, how can I screw Bayless? I don't have a Bayless shrine in my, you know, apartment in New York. It's it's literally something I kind of do. Are we allowed to curse on this? Yeah, oh, yeah. Shits and giggles, basically, yep. at this point. That's that's sort of where it is. But yeah, I, it is amazing to me 
how uh, much it's taken off. And then finally, and I'm saying this because I know the ESPN PR people and Fox <laughs> Sports PR people were here, it is amazing to me how many people since this started who work in television have now forwarded me ratings information on this. There are people who will cherry pick. They will cherry pick that time slot and forward me shows on the most random distant networks to say, hey, man, if you ever need any kind of data, I just noticed that this show did this at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. You may want to use that in your bailiff thing. So it's amazing. I literally um, have probably now 10 people in the business who will um, float me stuff uh, about this, uh, including the obviously the the um, rating that he gets in terms of uh, P, P2 plus as well as 18 to 49. So there's stuff that I've never even put out there that I could go really in, in depth in terms of, you know, what like the literal number is in a certain big city. It's, it's amazing how many people have forwarded me stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. I, you know, so you've been doing it about eight months now. I, you know, have you, have you ever really thought about why it's so popular? Because it, it is really, I mean, you, you can, you can look at the, at the likes and the retweets and, and, and get an idea pretty quickly that those tweets are very popular as well as the, uh, uh, the responses uh, directly, you know, uh, please never stop doing this. These are my favorite tweets, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> I know. People, I would, I'd, I'd like, I'd, there's one woman who said she wanted to marry me based on those, <laughs> which is incredible. Uh, so I have a backup plan if anything goes wrong with my current marriage. <laughs> well, so have, so have you thought about, like, why people are so into them? Is, is it Bayless? Is it the wacky comparisons? Is it the whole thing? What's, what's going I on? I, my thought is, one, this is a quintessential wrestling heel. And that it's probably there's a lot of people out there who enjoy sort of booing the wrestling heel too. I think there's a lot. Of, I have a lot of followers who I think are really particularly smart, and they understand the larger point on this. And the larger point is to make the uh, absurdity public about how ridiculous what this guy is doing for such little um, viewership payoff. Um, I think there's probably people who just find the comparison. Uh, <laughs> just sort of comically amusing like i don't pretend to be a comic but i think in terms of just if you're going to like diagnose the humor of it it's very funny to compare like a grown 60 year old man yelling at athletes with you know a cartoon character created from canadians and paw patrol or something like that you know it's i think the the whole absurdity of that is funny in the same way comparing that show to like a 19 74 repeat of like mash is funny in that you know you're you could just sort of wrap your hand you don't have to be a sports media nerd like we are to wrap your head around oh my god how is this show that's that came out 40 years ago beating this show you know so yeah, that was I think, I think it's a combo i think it's a combo of a lot of that i think people are just like uh, and then lastly and this is why i think part of the reason your feed has become very popular is there's still there, there just is not a lot of places where you can get context or anything contextual about sports ratings, both currently or historically. Now, you, I know the people who do it because I right. work in the space. You and Paul Senate Sports Media Watch and Showbiz Daily. Yep. And Doug Pucci does a great job with it at Awful Announcing. Obviously, the guys at Sports Business, Daily and Journal, O-Rand, and, um, and Austin Carp is phenomenal. If you want to get people who work for specific networks, Mike Mulvihill at Fox will put stuff out, which is really, really interesting. Yep. ESPN has its own people who put stuff out. So, like, me and you know where this is, but if you're just an average dude or woman in uh, Chicago and you're a sports fan and you just, like, we're curious, like, how many people watch the Monday night game between the Bears and Packers? 
you generally speaking, you it's not that easy to figure out where that is. And right. so I think that's another reason. I think people are just people are are really interested. More people are interested in television ratings than I think many editors or or media types would believe because it's one of the things that's very communal and it gives you an indication of popularity, a real one. And yep. so I think that's 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 another reason too and I think a big reason why your site um and what you you have done has become really really interesting because the average sports fan generally speaking has never been able to get this data. They've they have had no association with Nielsen. And so I'm not saying that to even kiss your ass. I'm saying I think it's it's just a it's an interesting niche place or space to be trafficking in because there's probably more people interested than one might think. Yeah, I mean so I, I am uh uh I am blown away by by the number of followers that that I have, you know, for something that I consider is a niche within a niche. And, uh, right. uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is popular for, for a lot of reasons, but, um, but th- there's, there's something else I think, and I haven't figured out what it is, but there's, there's some secret sauce, I think with those Bayless tweets that, uh, that take it to another level. And, and maybe I'm overthinking it and it's just the, uh, the wacky comparisons, uh, you know, to like, uh, you know, Columbo in 1973, you pull some of those out, I think. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I understand that, 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 uh, that it's entertaining. And so, so you've taken something that I think is, is intended to do one thing, but also just winds up being fun, uh, for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I, I hope people take, I mean, you know, I sometimes will throw out on Twitter sort of the people who are yelling at me, not as a representative sample of the um, response, but just because those are far more funny to me than um, than anything else. But it is crazy, just the, the amount of, uh, you know, you could certainly, it's interesting, you can, you could, if, you, if one wanted to spin it and criticize me, you can make the easy criticism to say, well, all this guy does on Twitter is Bayless tweets, which isn't true, factually not true, and anybody who reads me knows that's not true. So you can reverse it, but for whatever reason, and maybe this gives you some more insight into why the Baylesses and the Smiths and people, you know, and Kellerman and Will Cain and opinionists can get some traction, it's because there, people do react to them. Right. There is a reaction right. to them, and you can't deny that as someone who covers sports media. But yeah, I just honestly, it's not something I expected. I'm going to continue to do it, I guess, as long as it sort of amuses me. And uh, I do know that it does bother some people at uh, the network just because they don't want that number out there, as you know, yeah. every day. I'm sure you've heard from Fox Sports, and not even, I'm sure you have heard from Fox uh, Sports in the uh, past. Uh, honestly, they don't want to hear this stuff. So we can we can talk about how uh, how networks handle PR, but uh, honestly, I never heard directly. It, it, now this is as sports TV ratings, not in my TV by the numbers days. It was different, but uh, as right. sports TV ratings, uh, I had before podcasting, I had never heard from anyone at Fox Sports PR directly. And in fact, oh, I had well, to I had to reach out to them to, build, to 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 try to build a relationship so I could you know get people on the podcast. Uh, so uh, what, did you hear from ESPN? Who is who is uh... Interestingly yeah. enough, I think ESPN has always been more reactive as a PR group than Fox. So I would think you might have heard from them as opposed to Fox. Oh, yeah. So I heard from ESPN and some others. So, I, you know, just to take a little trip down memory lane. So I had a kind of a technology newsletter in the 90s. And at one point, Microsoft was all over me. Like they, they were like, you know, well, uh, if you don't have time, we'll come to your house. We'll come to the office, whatever you want to do. 
And, uh, you know, for like 15 minutes, I thought I was a badass motherfucker. But then I was finally like, wait a minute. Why are you guys doing this? And uh, yeah, they're uh, trying to work. They're trying well, to work you. Well, well, but but they were trying to work me, but they were trying to work me for a very specific reason. And that specific reason was that Walt Mossberg read my newsletter. Uh, and so ah. I, I I learned about the uh, the influencer of the influencer model of PR and uh, ESPN. ESPN adapts that, I think. And, and so I heard I got a lot of outreach from them because because of I think because of you and others, but I think mostly because of you. Well, I will say this. What's interesting there you, here, you, you that's an interesting observation you have, because I'll give you one. And again, for the life of me, I, I don't want to spend the podcast on Bayless just because my head will explode. But uh, <laughs> but but you are correct in that, like, because when someone with a lot of weight, at least in terms of social media weight, will retweet me or put their own spin. And I'll tell you a guy who does it a lot is Rich Eisen, right. who I think shares some of my pathology on just how much bullshit is has been coming out of that, you know, outrage, opinion, debate, embrace debate world. He will send out either, he'll either retweet me or he'll send out sort of, you know, a quote, te- a quote tweet with his take. And that, in terms of sort of, you know, influencing the influencer, like that goes everywhere. I mean, that's a right. guy followed by... NFL people, NFL media, uh, you know, broadcast executives, et cetera. So you are right about that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's often not necessarily what you are putting out there, but the kind of audience that you have. And one thing that is obviously true, just given the space I cover, is I do have a ton of people who work in the business who are following me on Twitter, for sure. Right. Well, I, I thank you. I mean, so, so you know, uh, the, the, the people the people at ESPN who reached out as a result of that, uh, you know, particularly now that I'm podcasting, uh, the, you know, those relationships are good to have. And uh, uh, and it, it wasn't yeah, just I mean, you should, we should, even when I have a, even when I have issues with PR departments, you, you do want to hopefully keep it, you know, respectful and professional. And there are times where, you know, you could be mutual assisting to each other for sure. Yeah. Um, so. I want to talk about something I think you, you can shed a lot of insight on. It's not really sports media, but but I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's probably going to keep you back on Bayless, which I apologize for. Uh, but but <laughs> there, but there there was a there was a a, a lot of uh, I, I only follow like a you know around two hundred and fifty people, but m- most of the people that I follow are somehow related to to sports media or the media in general. And uh, so yesterday in my feed, there was uh, a lot of a lot of response to uh, someone had tweeted that, you know, no, I'm paraphrasing badly, but, you know, nobody wants to uh, to read anything that's a thousand words or more. Right. My co- my, it was a colleague of mine who tweeted it, in fact, Andy Gray. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the response to that, I mean, he 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 drew a lot of venom. But, uh, I, you know, I want to I want to tell you a little story from, a, you know, from a from a different point of view. I, I can I, I don't I don't consider myself any kind of journalist uh, and I don't sadly I don't consider myself any kind of writer uh, other than a wannabe writer. But uh, I do have the wannabe writer gene. And, and nah, you're right. I mean, anybody to be honest with you, I, I not again, anyone who's sort of published and published at a regular on a regular basis, even if it's self-publishing to me as a writer. So I wouldn't I would not knock yourself. Uh, okay, well, I won't. I won't denigrate myself then. But the the point that I wanted to make was like in the in the TV by the numbers days early on, you know, I, I figured out that you know there I was like I was doing pieces that took like a week or two to put together, you know, spending lots of time on, and they would get hundreds of page views, and and then I would, you know, do like a a one sentence post that was headlined, 
might Netflix save Fringe? And, you know, that, <laughs> that post would get tens of thousands of page views. Uh, and, and, right. and Richard, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying this to be proud or anything else, but I needed the money. And so the focus, you know, my focus changed because uh, and, and it hurt me a little bit. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, personally like, wow, the stuff that I want to write about. And nobody's interested in that. This other stuff I'm really not interested in, but it doesn't take that long. That's gold. Uh, and, and, and so when, when these topics come up, like as, a, as, you know, as a writer slash publisher who understands like the, the, the goal, if the goal is to make money, it's a tough business. And, and uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Listen, you, it's, this is, you could, you could literally do, an entire series of podcasts on this question in terms of, you know, what should you be aiming for if you are a site that has journalistic aims, but obviously has legit financial concerns. I mean, Sports Illustrated is a business. It's a business that relies on subscribers, obviously on the print side and on the digital side relies on what relies on advertisers who are buying into whatever the product is based on what our, traffic numbers are right. so where andy gray who's a longtime colleague and um and a good guy i i don't think he had any idea what he was tweeting was going to cause a firestorm where he got in trouble is he put, he made it an absolute in that you know yeah, ne- never you say something like no 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 nobody reads anything on the web in my you know i've been in this business for 12 years and nobody reads anything over a thousand words i feel bad about mtv news but that's like the fact when you do that you're in trouble because it's, there are no absolutes in digital media, which which Andy I think probably realized after he put out there. What's what it comes down to me is it's what you are expecting from the site you are visiting. So if you're coming to a place like Sports Illustrated, I think you are expecting a smorgasbord or a lot of stuff. You're expecting traditional long form journalism that we've done in the magazine on the web. If you are interested in that, a Lee Jenkins three thousand word piece on. LeBron or Kevin right. Durant, or you're coming to SI to get shorter, quick takes on whatever the sports news of the day is, or some kind of fusion of pop culture and sports, or Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback, or my media stuff. In Andy's case, you'd be going to Hot Clicks, to, which is very much a short pop culture thing. And listen, I, I'm not pretending otherwise. There are tons, there are millions of people who come to our site to click on swimsuit. Yeah. Uh, you click on essentially sex uh, on our site, not active sex, but but the but the selling of beauty. Yep. And so, I think what where Andy screwed up on is that in his experience at Hot Clicks, he's not wrong. He 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 gets a lot of traffic in terms of what he does. And if he decided instead of doing this 900 word thing that he does every day and do like a 3,000 word feature on, you know, I don't even know what Aaron Judge or something his traffic would be way down. But if you're at the Atlantic or the New Yorker, or you work at New York times magazine, you know, and if you do a 5,000 word piece that hits it out of the park, you get millions and millions of page views. So I think where he got, in my opinion, in trouble is that it's the expectations part of what comes up. Now I can tell you internally at my place, there are a lot of people who are specialized in long form, both writing and editing who are pissed off at them. I don't think they should have been that pissed off because it's Twitter and sometimes you say stuff. Yep. And so that, that's where I think he got in trouble. And he, you know, his tweet got picked up and it got picked up in the long form world where a lot of writers from like Mother Jones or The Atlantic or Wired, I mean, places that are that have really great journalism and are well known for being long, right. went after him. And I understand that. So I think um, 
the interesting thing, Robert, is I think everybody's right, interestingly enough, in that Andy's not wrong and that for the kind of content he does, if he went long, he, he would have very little audience. The Mother Jones person who references, like, we sent Shane Bauer to go inside a prison for four months, and he wrote about uh, his experiences as a prison guard, and it won all these national awards and it was 5,000 words, is also right in that there is an audience for that. What is scary, and this is where it gets back to you, is you are not wrong in that, in my experience, and I'm someone who writes both long and short. You know, I've, I've, I did a media column this week interviewing uh, seven uh, openly gay uh, members of the sports media. It was, it was I think, 10,800 words. I was really proud of it. They said some fascinating things. I thought it, like, hit on a topic that was important given – uh, the former Patriots player who had sort of told his coming out story. Right. Uh, it was thoughtful and honest stuff. And the piece, while it did well, might have got a couple hundred thousand page views. Had I done something like um, five moves Bill Simmons must do today, <laughs> like a 600-word piece on that, yep. it, it, that would have crushed it. And yep. it's not even close. And I actually was a little disappointed because I was like, you know, I think I really worked hard on this piece. I think it's going to crush. And the, the piece with the seven gay um, sports media people did not. It, right. it was okay. It, it, it didn't totally bomb, but it was nowhere near the kind of traffic I thought it would be. And then there are times, again, like I can't tell you where I will have a small item that's semi-breaking news on like some on-air talent who's doing X or doing Y or who just got scooped up by by X. I think I'll give you an example. Like, I, like way back, I think I... Um, I don't remember the date, but I was the first one to basically say that Mike and Mike is breaking up right. and that Greenberg is going to get a solo show. If I remember correctly, that did three or four times more traffic than the piece I just did on Sunday. The piece I did on Sunday is far more intellectual. It's 100 times more important. It actually has some semblance of meaning, I think, at least within the sports world, and it didn't come close to the traffic that this other piece did, which was maybe 500 words. So that's where Andy's right. And I also understand where these uh, where these others are at, but it does get into the larger thing, and we're seeing this in you know, look at the journalist ESPN cut in their last layoff, and obviously look at what Fox Sports did. Yeah, let's they let's cut it. let's talk well, about that you know, for twenty plus writers, and they're they're going all video now. Yeah, let's digital. I want to talk about the Fox for a second, Fox Sports layoffs for a second, because you know my immediate reaction. Um, you know, I, I, I followed pretty much the whole time I've, I've done sports TV ratings as Stuart Mandel. And, like, for college football, he's the man. I, I, you know, I've listened to his podcast many times. I've read his pieces. And uh, he's just, like, a, a very good resource uh, for, for college football. But then, on the other hand, yeah, as, as, a, as a publisher – like I don't know if it's like uh, if 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 cost and you know if cost savings are are our primary driver, I don't know that that's not the right move. I mean, so so it seems like that's that's crazy. Like, how can that guy not be worth it? Uh, and I do feel that way. But I also you know I can't say for sure that's not the right move if if you know the 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 pressure is on on expenses. Well, the the, the people who were laid off would tell you that we're getting traffic. And, you know, even if they're – and I didn't particularly think FoxSports.com was a great site at all in terms of writerly. Obviously, I love Mandel and Feldman, Rosenthal, and a couple other people. Right. But there were some other people on there I think were total, uh, you know, total hot takes to basically try to get paid views. But, I mean, listen, we all have those people. We all do it, et cetera. Where this is particularly frustrating to me 
And again, this is where me and you are different. I'm far more emotional with this stuff. I feel like I was telling. Well, Jim it's, Miller, it's your job. This, I mean, this, this is, is your career. This is why, this is why Jim. This is why Jim Miller gets. Uh, you know, he gets he gets more sources than I do. He's far more diplomatic and sober. But like, it, I find the decision made by Jamie Harwood so incredibly cynical when it comes to content. In that, there are only a few places in the United States that really have the money to um, do like legitimate sports editorial and pay people an excellent wage to do it. ESPN is one. Twenty first Century Fox is another. They make tons and tons of money whether that money is being funneled from Fox News or wherever else, they have the resources to do things generally right. And so when an executive makes a decision blowing out 25-plus people to essentially um, now have as a site repackaged takes of a lot of your shitty talkers, just insults me. It insults me as a journalist and insults me as someone who cares about quality sports reporting. It insults me, obviously, that those people sort of lost their jobs uh, for a strategy I think that is going to bust because um, on top of everything else, it, and, I, and I understand, you know, you want to push Fox brand first. That right. brand is not going to be, that brand is not going to be in real time. So you're going to be waiting around if news breaks at 5 p.m. for Skip Bayless to take on that news the next day. It's a bad strategy for a digital property because a digital property is what? It's a 24-7 experience right. that connects us every second of the day. Um, so, yeah, like that pisses me off. Now, all that said, if I, if I stop and just sort of look at it more objectively and I'm Eric Shanks, Jamie Harris's boss, I say to myself, well, this guy uh, has just reduced costs significantly, right? You yep. reduce 25 people. You don't pay them benefits. You don't pay them salary. That's millions of dollars off the books. He's promoting our properties. Uh, you know, Shannon Sharp's take on Conor McGregor or uh, uh, Skip Bayless' take on Aaron Rodgers, that's all being filtered uh, through our prism, which, you know, some executive may say, hey, that's great. You're building up brands. So I wouldn't doubt that privately, secretly, there are people uh, um, in 21st Century Fox who are probably happy. They just saved a ton of money. Yeah. I just think it's so cynical because that's a place that should and has the resources to do it right, and they just totally punted and abandoned on it. So it pisses me off on a personal note, but if I am objective and sort of step away from it on a cost savings, I bet you on the balance sheet next year, they show it as a cost savings. I will say this. I think that site is honestly done in terms of traffic. There's no way you can sell that. I would make a big, big prediction. This is where I'll Andy Gray myself of my, you know, 11 years in digital media or whatever. Um, I will make a big prediction that that traffic on that site is going to drop precipitously and you're not going to actually be able to sell ads against it. So the only thing that site is essentially going to be is a distribution engine to hope your linear television product, which I guess if you're an executive who's getting judged on the linear television product, not the worst move, right? Because you're yep. helping promote you. But I don't see, I mean, well, not, I don't have the proprietary I don't have the proprietary numbers, yep. but, but that site is going to vault from wherever it was, number two or three, into the, into the teens, if not 20s or 30s, would be my guess. Yeah, the, the unknown to me is like, <laughs> Uh, how, how much a lot of that stuff winds up getting repurposed on social media on ways. In, oh, I in, think all of it. Well, but, well, I think all of it, but, but then, but in ways that actually, you know, work for them in terms of uh, help, yeah. helping well, the brand I mean, or I, driving traffic. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I will say this. I, the one place where I, I give Fox credit and I, again, I don't particularly think the content is so great, but they have taken their shows and turned them into audio products, which I know you know, Robert, as you now are getting into the podcast space. And, you know, Colin Coward's show does very well. 
traffics really well in the podcast space. Bayless and Sharp Show does. Um, the other Coward Show is usually in the top 100 in terms of sports podcasts. I imagine the Nick Wright, Chris Carter Show will, will be turned into a podcast every day. You know, if they were they have it, they would take some of their personalities like Katie Nolan or Christine Leahy or Chris Thompson and give them audio projects so they can they can get some audience that way. So I give them credit. They they have they have extended those brands um, into that space. They've put they're pushing their people very heavy on Facebook, which again is a good brand yep. extension. I don't know how much money you're making, but I think you can you can brand extend pretty good and they've gotten their talent to do that. And then finally and I don't know this business well enough, I wish I did, this where O-Ram or somebody would be really good, is they, they, they have gotten a lot of these clips onto YouTube, and it does get some plays. You know, if Rob Parker says something crazy like, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook is the 75th best guard in the NBA, right. well, there's always going to be people who click on nonsense. So the question is, if that something like that gets 100,000 views on YouTube, is Fox making money, and if so, how? So that would be interesting to me because they do get some pretty good traffic or traction on YouTube as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, it, it's it's very interesting to me. Uh, all the all the audio stuff. I mean, uh, I have I have talked some about like the the decline in the uh, in the uh, the viewership for for say like the ride home shows, uh, PCI, Run right. the Horn, etc. And and um, one of the things I always wondered, I actually wondered why is ESPN making that available as a podcast? Like, you know, pretty much 30 minutes after it's available on TV. I, I always wondered if, if that actually, uh, hurt badly the, the linear TV viewing because it, you know, you basically have an on-demand product without a DVR. I think, but I, I, I understand that. And again, the, the people to talk to would obviously be the business side on audio to see what kind of money they can make on the podcast element. But I think for sure, like PTI, it still is aired at a odd time for many potential viewers, particularly young ones. Sure. So I think that's smart. I think it's smart business to extend that brand. And I would bet this is just sort of off the top of my head. If, if you had the demos of the people who downloaded PTI every day, and I, I would take a guess that that probably does like 80, 90,000 downloads a day or something to that effect. I bet you their numbers are super high under 35, which is a really good place for ESPN to be, if nothing else in terms of getting those people under your larger tent to be ESPN consumers. So I, I think that's why my sense is that they give up the linear numbers in exchange for a longer-term investment with a listener viewer who connects ESPN to something good. Or at least something they like. Yeah, I I definitely buy that in theory. The the problem that I have with it in in practice is, is like any time I've actually listened to any of those podcasts myself, they say they they don't monetize them at all. They basically just promote ESPN stuff. There's no real ads in it, and so I wonder. Oh, well, that's I, interesting. I, I oh, get, does somebody buy the ad network? You think? Does somebody buy? Like, is somebody investing? Is there like a uh, what do you call it? like an overall sponsor of ES of all of ESPN's podcasts? Maybe uh, that would be the way to do it. Uh, yeah, so you know, I'm I'm not I'm not sure how they're thinking about it. I mean, so I, I I definitely get, hey, if we can build relationships with these people and this is the way that we need to do it, then then we want to be there. Uh, but I, I don't think that they've figured out how to uh, how to monetize those the you know that side of the business yet. Yeah. I, by the way, I know this is you're probably the show you like the most on ESPN. I do think. They're going to have an interesting decision, let's say, five years from now or whenever it is when uh, Kornheiser probably, maybe even before Wilbon decides to hang it up, uh, is one, does the show continue? 
And they'd have to have Eric Rideholm continue with the show, or really, I think, would be a mistake to do it. And then secondly, does Rideholm – three things. Does Rideholm want to do it with other people? And then if he does, are there two people who could come in, and they're not going to get the same audience that Wilbon and Kornheiser did, but they, can, they, can they, let's say, get 70% of the audience where it continues to be a profitable right. enterprise? But ESPN is going to have – you know, around the horn can honestly, whether you like that show or not, that thing can go on forever. Yep. Part of that yep. interruption has much more of a tricky game because you have um, you have documented this as well. Whenever there was a guest host from the days of Whitlock and Levitard or whoever else, the numbers always dropped massive. And so that's a very tricky decision now that Connor Shell may be the one making in three to five years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting now that the you know, now that the, the viewership for those shows is is down quite a bit, you know, over the last say uh, three or four years. Uh, I I don't actually notice the uh, the guest host. Uh, I mean, I, you know, recently I noticed that the the numbers held up pretty well with Isola, uh, and, and so oh. you know, maybe, so you think maybe they hit maybe they hit a floor in terms of where the bottom is, regardless of who's on the show or not. So the the brand is what it is, and you can float in Isola or whoever else. That, that's interesting. That would be positive development for you. Yeah, I don't have enough numbers, actual data to say that definitively, but uh, anecdotally, I, I think that definitely might be the case. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's that's a. I would take if I was an ESPN executive, I would say that's a positive sign for us. Maybe that's the floor, and you know, you you tweeted out the other day the um, what the numbers are this year, sort of. As a, as a sort of a spot in time, like a singular day in June, yeah. year over year. And whatever that number was, I forgot what it was, it was either high 600s or seven. Like, you, they, they could live with that number. I mean, you got a studio show that's doing 600,000 viewers in 2017, you should be dancing dancing the night away. You can make money on that, and that's a legit program. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, Richard, how much time do you have? I'll, I'll edit this out. I have, I have all the time in the world. Okay, so I... I I, I did want the to ask. The whole actually... business is imploding. The whole business is imploding, Robert. I mean, this is my last, literally my last assignment of talking to you. Uh, please don't say that. That, that even, <laughs> even 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 in jest. So you uh, your podcast with the uh, with Jim Miller yesterday, uh, and he's he's always great. Um, but I, I was legit surprised at what he said about uh, SC six. Uh, yeah, so was I. Okay. So was I. Very surprised. Yeah, yeah. So, because you know, my my read on that is that wasn't that was that wasn't just him him uh, offering an opinion. There, there there was there was uh, there there was there was knowledge in that statement. It felt like it well, felt like that, to me. Yeah, I'll let people know. Yeah, one thing that Miller is very good on in the podcast is he does. He's not always right, but he's pretty close to always right. And he does offer opinions that are based in clearly his talking to. Executives. I'm not going to say I don't do that too, but I probably give you my take a little bit more, just my passion or personal take than Miller might. He's much more measured. Right. And what he said was, and this stunned me, he said that he doesn't believe the, the, the format and or philosophy of SC6 will be the same one year from now. Now, he was specific and said that doesn't necessarily mean Jamel Hill and Michael Smith won't be there, but he believed that the fusion, I guess, of pop culture and music and, and a very distinct show away from traditional sports center was going to change. Um, and he was pretty definitive about that, yep. which I have to be honest with you, stunned me. What I know about that show is they are, I, they have a pretty good contract from what I understand that they are contractually obligated in that space for a couple of years. And in order for that to change, ESPN would have to buy them out significantly. Now ESPN could buy anybody out of course, but you know, you, that's a dollar 
that's a significant dollar investment to to do the buyout. So I I am surprised at that. I I have been saying the same thing ever since uh, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith took over. And people, you know, they sort of accuse me. Maybe it's a lot. <laughs> it's I shouldn't say people. It's generally speaking, a lot of people from Boston, uh, <laughs> who I love by the way. I have my relatives there. But they're uh, you know they accuse me of being way too much in the tank for those. And that's not the case. Um, uh, I have said repeatedly that the 6 p.m. Sports Center is nothing more than a time slot that will continue to decline left and right. Whether you put Jamel Hill and Michael Smith in there, you put Kevin Nagani in there, you put John Gruden in there. The space is 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 the dead zone given where we are today in 2017 with highlights. 6 p.m. is a odd spot unless it's a pregame show, right. so to speak, for a big event to get any kind of updates on highlights or news or sports, which obviously is why ESPN made a decision. We're going to put these two um, personalities uh, on the, on, in that space. And obviously, and this is, I think, very important, and, I'm, and I respect John Skip for this, he also wants to get more people of color into 10 at ESPN, and he wants that to be reflective in terms of his hosts on air. And Jamel Hill is a singular person in that um, you do not see uh, this, essentially nobody else. Carrie Champion is not an opinion. There is no sort of, there is no more high-profile African-American sports opinionist in this country than Jamel Hill, and they gave her, you know, an important spot for them to do that, which I think is kind of a cool thing, just given the demographics of the country. So I was surprised um, because one year from now, while the show will not be "quote unquote" new, it's certainly not going to be five, six, seven years in the in the bank. So I was surprised that Miller said that, but like you. I did take a note of that, and like I don't know if Jim Miller is saying that without having talked to a high-ranking executive at ESPN who's thinking that might be. Yeah. So it, it would be something. It would be something to watch, unless, and this is where Robert, you sort of are really good, unless the numbers for SC six really gr- dramatically grow and change the trend at six o'clock. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I'll be surprised if that happens. I, I, you know, I get accused of uh, being in the tank for those guys, too. And uh, I, I, I am not. I mean, I, I like Jamel and Michael a lot, but, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm actually not a big. Yeah, uh, same here. I like I like them personally. But, like, it's, you know, I, I think the, 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 the spot is the is the issue in terms of, like, am I bothered or do I. Li- I mean, I don't really want at six o'clock. I'm dealing. You know, if I get home, I'm dealing with, like, two toddlers. I'm not, <laughs> not thinking about Sports Center, But I have no problem. Like, to me, the show is just. At this point, they've made their bones, and they're just going to have personalities do it. So it's a very easy proposition. If you like Jamel Hill and Michael Smith's sensibilities, whether it's culture, whether it's music, uh, whether it's sports, you're going to like the show. If you like gambling, uh, you're going to like Southman Pelt's show. It's very easy. The one thing where I try to push back on is this nonsense that SC6 is somehow, uh, you know, has become like, um, you know, Frontline or McNeil Lehrer. Like, there's no doubt that Jamel Hill is very candy, very active um, on social media in terms of how she feels about politics or social issues. Right. But me and you have both pushed back on this, Robert. The idea somehow that ESPN has become like, you know, MSNBC or CNN, it's just nonsense. Like, if you watch that network for a full day, I mean, 2%, 1% maybe could sort of be filtered in politics and – a lot of that is just, you know, maybe it's more if, it, if Kaepernick is the dominant conversation in the country. But, like, as a general rule, on, like, June 30th, like, you know, is, are Mike and Mike today, like, uh, you know, 
are they discussing like Nikki Haley's statement this morning? I mean, right. it's just nonsense. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, Jamel and Michael get tagged for that, and I think they get tagged a lot for that because um, they can be like Pablo Torre and, uh, and Mina Kimes and some other people. They're very progressive on Twitter, and they yeah. put that out there. And I think a lot of times people think that what they're saying on Twitter is the yeah. same thing they're saying on linear television, which is not always the case. Uh, it's it's almost never the case, I think. I mean, they're 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 right. they're, right. they're blatantly political on their Twitter feeds, and they're blat- they're blatantly uh, at least you know on uh, Pablo blatantly apolitical. I mean, I think the the six has to cover stories when when there's stories, and and uh, uh, you know what can they do if 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 uh, if Kaepernick is kneeling? Are they are they not going right. to talk about that? Yeah, they'll have a POV on that. But like again, it, the the idea that the whole that the network is putting this out on a daily basis is just it's just a it's just factually not true. If you want to make the take though, and I will absolutely agree with you on this perhaps, if you want to say that viewers are turned off because they see political talk on individual feeds and they don't want to be hanging out with those personalities, well that's an interesting conversation to have. And then if you want to get into the ratings, yeah, let's take a look. Maybe maybe there maybe that has happened. Maybe there are are some shows with some very uh, people who are very provocative in their political takes on social media, and there's a decline in the ratings because there are, um, let's say, conservatives who don't want to be trafficking with them. Right. That's a legit take to me. Like that, that would be interesting to me. But the larger sort of take, just like that, ESPN has become like this, like one long factory of political takes, like on every show. It's just crazy. I mean, they just the general rule. They just do too much sports for there to be anything. <laughs> You know, other than generally sports, ninety percent of the time. Yeah. So, so given given what you've already and by said, the way, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean, to, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I would say the same thing about FS1. It's not like FS1 is 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 uh, is a national review either. And anybody who yep. thinks somehow that like all those shows are just basically spinning like a right wing or conservative or Breitbartian viewpoint, that's nonsense too. Yeah. I mean, those shows are not good to watch, but it's not like Bayless and Shannon Sharp are. Uh, you know, they're not sitting out there reading like Mike Pence's, uh, you know, biography. I mean, you have to be fair on that end as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that narrative's out there. You know what? What grabbed me with uh, with Jim Miller's comments was was the notion that, like, wow, you know, maybe maybe some of that narrative did take root though within uh, within ESPN executives, which is that just you know that just made my eyes wide because, like you said, the the 6 p.m. time slots it, it's in peril, and there's not really anything that you can kind of do uh, about that. Uh, and, and and then, you know, it's it's lead ins are all kind of declining as well. And so I, I, totally, I, I, yeah. I don't understand like I don't like even if I'm at ESPN, like I don't understand like why that's a hot button for me right now. Show six months well, old. Because, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I well, I was going to say, I, I think you, you did hit on something. Um, and I know you're going to have a lot of these PR people on, but ESPN as a PR department is more reactive than proactive. I know LaPlock and or Saltis or somebody will listen to this. What's up, fellas? But that is the truth. Sorry to, sorry to disappoint you. but um, And they read a lot of this stuff, either online or in places, and then they react to it. And they have allowed others, in my opinion, to dictate this political narrative. For the first time ever, Oran finally had an executive, Burke Magnus, and God bless the guy. He actually finally went out there and said, this is nonsense. Now, whether you believe it or not, they yeah. finally at least decided to, to try to re- regain the narrative, which is always what you should be doing in PR. And I think, again, I don't want to put words in Miller's mouth, but I have no doubt that there are executives at ESPN who have seen all this on social media. They've never seen, generally speaking, their people um, 
uh, fight back, at least publicly, to say a lot of this is nonsense. And so they probably get scared because, you know, ultimately they have to get as many eyeballs as they can. They have to get liberals and conservatives and independents and Democrats and Republicans and socialists and communists. I mean, the, the network's about eyeballs. So I'm sure they get a little worried, like, you know, we can't have, quote unquote, too many polarizing people like uh, on our you know, flagship show. But the problem is there's nothing you can do about that flagship show anymore. The world has just um, changed. So if I was Miller, I, interestingly enough, um, Robert, if he had said, what do you think two years from now to me? I might have said, you know, I put it at 50-50, Jamel and Michael are there. The interesting thing, what he said was it was one year. One year. And that was the stunner to me, is that that's not a long time. But if you're saying, if you ask me 20, June, whatever we're taping this, June 30th, 2019, will Jamel Hill and Michael Smith be co-hosting SportsCenter at 6? I would put that at 50-50, you know, two to one either way. I I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you you heard – John Orient uh, schooled me on uh, on focusing on any of these shows because they're all unimportant. The only thing that matters is uh, is live sports, which uh, which, is which is which is definitely true. Uh, and and we do yep. spend a lot of time on this. But I mean, we're kind of in a dead yeah, spot. I spend, I, spend, I spend way too much time. But he, John is correct in terms of what really matters and what ultimately ESPN's business. Is. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but he's right. No, I, I, the, I he, he he should have taken a shot at me because I spent far too much time on this. <laughs> Uh, I, I've, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time on it too, and and it's fair. But but look, Richard, there's nothing like there's nothing going on that that we know of anyway. I mean, so when the, like the the Mike Greenberg show launches next year, so we're kind of in this. Uh, yeah, we're, in, yeah, we're we've got six months of nothing nothing to do but speculate like how that show's going to do, and I speculate right. it's not going to do great. Like I, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, we go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Miller and I talked about that. I'm with you. Um, I, I, um, I'm not optimistic that that's going to be a hit. Uh, I think Mike Greenberg is a solid broadcaster, someone who can bring you in and out. Um, certainly uh, smart and can uh, co-host a show with people as he did with Golick for 18 plus years. Um, he's certainly a likable figure on television, but ultimately, I don't see him as destination viewing in a time slot. And this is what Miller and I talked about, which is, I would say now is the most competitive time slot in television. You're competing against the big three morning shows today, uh, Good Morning America and CBS This Morning. Yep. You're competing against one of the most, the most, not the, one of the, the most overheated cable news uh, environment in the history of our country with shows like Morning Joe and CNN Show and Fox and Friends, which get really, really big ratings. You're also competing against some single uh, network uh, sports entities like the Good Morning Football Show and Major League yep. Network Show. So into this comes Mike Greenberg, even with all of ESPN's might. And in, in my opinion, in order for that show to hit, that, that, that guy has to be a destination uh, viewing in terms of he's an incredible interviewer, he, he's a provocative talker, or I guess the ensemble is just so incredibly great with chemistry that you want to be with them every day, which again, we don't know what his ensemble is, but that does not strike me as a surefire hit but they have paid a fortune for him, as Miller reported, six and a half million a year. And once again, another <laughs> win for CAA. Um, so they're going to—they are going to throw. I mean, I don't want—I I shouldn't sort of be flip here. They are going to throw six figures, at least maybe seven figures, on the marketing of the show. So they will give it a shot to make it work. And as Miller said, and I thought that was very smart of him, this will be one of the biggest things in the Connor Shell doctrine. So much of how Connor's show will be initially judged early 
I think rides on how this show does, just because of its important to e- its importance to ESPN and that it sets up their entire conversation there. Okay, I have kind of a, and I know that it's it's not your bailiwick. Uh, I have kind of a schedule related questioning question along those lines. So it strikes me uh, that that Jamie got one thing right, which is he likes to launch shows other than uh, speak for yourself, kind of time with the launch of football season. And uh, that makes a lot of sense to me in the, uh, in the current uh, sports talk environment. So like, why, why is ESPN doing stuff like, uh, you know, launching uh, the six in January or February after football, uh, launching, uh, you know, uh, the the new Mike Greenberg show. I guess there'll still be a month of football left. Why do you think that they wind up timing it the way that that they, they time it at ESPN? That's interesting. I one, I agree with you on Harwich. I think he's actually been smart about that. Although, let's face it. I mean, what the ratings were before. This is where the whole and I give you a lot of credit for the title of your podcast. This is where the fastest growing sports show is just ultimate marketing and PR bullshit. Like one is much greater than zero. Congratulations. Like no kidding. Um, so I, I think if I'm if having talked to a lot of people about this, I think they're launching right around one of their biggest properties, maybe arguably their biggest, which is the college football national championship. Uh-huh. So I think they would like to use that as their hook, particularly to get a lot of viewers in traditional college football cities, uh, southern cities. Maybe they think that they're going to at least have a shot at urban audiences to start with, so maybe you, you can pick up some people if you go really heavy college football in January, which I think they will. And then secondly, Robert, and this is where I might buy the ESPN logic, even though they don't have the playoff games, January 1st to whatever, February 7th, is so prime NFL because there's so little teams left yeah. and so many usually big and great stories that you would have Greenberg basically doing a month of NFL playoff Super Bowl content, which, uh, given the weight of ESPN, uh, gets you a lot of potentially really good guests. I'm sure they will have him at the Super Bowl. And so that would be my thought process is that they're going to try to use these two big events, one that they own in terms of the College Football National Championship, to launch him. The Jamie philosophy, which is – I think generally smart is let's launch in September for our talkers, which is the beginning of the NFL season, which brings 30 plus cities into the tent where you can talk about all these different storylines. So that's, that's the difference. I mean, uh, you know, if Greenberg was launching in March, I'd be like, this is a disastrous mistake, but January 1st, January 2nd to me, doesn't, might not kill you. It might not kill you because you, um, you got the NFL plus. By the way, I apologize for the New York City Bucks. Uh, I like it. You had you had a good siren going about twenty minutes ago, so I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, pretty happy. Yeah, we New York, of course. In uh, the um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> take you back to Jamie. Uh, so the so this September, I guess the uh, the the new Nick Wright show will launch. How, how do you think that's going to go? I don't think that has any shot of uh, getting any kind of ratings. Uh, I don't know. I, it's, I guess you would know better than me what. Do you have any idea what Fox does right now between 6 a.m. and Fox Sports 1 does between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. EST? 9.30. I, uh, I don't know. You know, you I, want to take 30,000? I, I, uh, I, I would say that's about right. And, and I, and I okay. actually give – I would say, you know, the, the sort of the twenty to 50,000 range of, of, of encores or whatever. Um, okay. So but, I, I think they can hit that. I mean, I, if I – you know, there will be a lot of promotion behind it. Um, it could maybe hit forty, fifty thousand. I don't think that's certainly maybe the eight o'clock hour. That's not inconceivable. I think the reason this is being done, of course, is to give Bayless 
um, a better lead-in, a more um, a lead-in that is more based on the philosophy of his show and feels sort of more natural. I think it's a costly move, though. If they're filming the show in New York, that's pricey. Um, they clearly paid uh, Wright and Carter. I would try heard close to seven figures, you know, around eight hundred, nine hundred thousand marks. So not insignificant for talent. Um, and then lastly, <laughs> and this is where. You know, I, I give Jamie credit, man. He, 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 he has a lot of PR operatives at Fox working for him, but there's nothing very interesting to me about taking a former guy at ESPN and then putting him on your network as a talker, whether that's Chris Carter or uh, Ray Lewis, Broussard, et cetera. Yeah, well, Bayless is different, though. Bayless no, brought you an audience, and he's, you know, he at least is a proven commodity in the uh, cycle of, you know, of clown fuck outrageousness, you know? So... In that sense, he's at least proven. I, um, Chris Carter is not as an opinionist. Nick Wright is not as a television opinionist. So I think Nick's a bright guy, and he had success on the radio. So I think if expectations are mild for Horowitz and his bosses, I think they may hit whatever target they want. But the, I think, Robert, you'd agree. The reason that show exists is to bump up the Bayless show. Correct. And they need Bayless show to be bumped up because they have invested a shitload of money in that show, one. And two, Skip Bayless represents the face of FS1. Now, to me, if I was FS1 executives or beyond that, I'd be embarrassed by that, that that guy's the face of my network. But that is the fact. That's, that is where we live. And if that is the case, you have to do everything you can to prop that show. So I think, interestingly enough, the way to judge the success of Wright and Carter will be what the impact is on the Bayless show six months after. If that Bayless show gets closer to... 150, 200,000, then that, that, then that's a successful move because I think ultimately, uh, Fox Sports One executives have to get the undisputed show closer to what First Take is doing. Yeah. You can only spin, would you agree, Robert? You can only spin, we're up 60%, we're up 70% from last year so much because, I mean, you're, you are, Mulvey Hill's the best, but if, if I was putting everybody at Fox, with you, you'd be the second best guy there. You could take any snapshot in the last five months, correct? Like, or I could. I take like first take doing like 150 around the Super Bowl, and then I can compare it to the 83,000 they did on whatever June 20, right? And then couldn't I make the argument the fastest growing sports show has dropped 150 percent since whatever? You know what I mean? Like, you could play around with all these numbers. But uh, at a certain point, J- Richard, Richard, the year over year, the, the year over year stuff, they they have to figure out. Yeah, just to correct you, you you said you said first take. And then you threw out Undisputed's numbers. So I just want to make sure that people know you were talking about oh, Undisputed. I? Yeah, well, I, Robert, I, you've got me so flustered, clearly, on talking about all these dumb shows. <laughs> yeah, you need to yell at me more like, uh, like John did. Um, so, yeah. no, well, I, the thing is, as you, know, as, you, as you know, what is it right now? The first take is basically three and a half or four to one beating them on a daily basis. Roughly. Uh, Maybe three and a half. Uh, right? I think, I think, I think uh, lately probably closer to four to one. Okay, so I think in order... What they have to do is, you would agree, get that to about two to one. And so part of the charge of the Nick Wright-Chris Carter show is to get that, is to get, is to get that closer. Because the, ultimately, I think you can only use the sales job so much if we're up over year over year over last year or two years ago. At a certain point, you have to bring to the market that, like, we have a competitive show with the other nonsense show that's playing on ESPN in this time slot. And so that'll be interesting to see because uh, I – I'm, forget about how I feel personally about some of these shows. I'm of the belief that I think the, the bait show has kind of hit its apex. Like I, I'm not sure there's so much more gas to grow anymore. 
I feel like as a genre, you know what I mean? It's not. It doesn't feel new anymore. Yeah. And I, I wonder. I, I wonder if it just feels a little bit like. At this point, you just, it's like revolving chairs. Whoever you, whoever you bring into those chairs. Yeah. The thing that I don't know is whether, uh, you know, what we're seeing is just sort of the, uh, you know, the 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 slow, uh, the slow. Uh, erosion of tv in general and it's hitting everything uh and, and so I, i'm i'm not really sure on that score i but but circling back to uh to the uh the lead in for undisputed i agree with your thinking i mean the the real the real measure is is whether it uh whether it boosts un, undisputed and uh and it kind of surprised me how it happened but uh, you know undisputed did significantly boost at least for a while uh the the cowherd simulcast and so it did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 I understand the strategy. We're just dealing with such little numbers yep. that at a certain point, you know, again, this is where, see, this is the sort of the dirty little secret here is that, you know, you might not be making, let's say, as much money as you expected on some of these shows. It's not hitting as much as you might think, but, you know, you lay off 25 people from digital online. You just made a cost savings of $6 million. And so, you know, you could, you could lose a little bit more now on your linear stuff because you, you can point to, hey, I save money in this part of the business. So it's the only people who really know are the people who are um, who are sort of running Fox's books. But this is where, and again, and maybe this is just my own naivete, or you know, Sancho Ponja basically, or, or Sisyphus. <laughs> but like, I just, I, I'll never understand why the Fox brass at the top, this is above the FS1 guys, would be satisfied with the kind of press that they're getting for their network in the market. I just it befuddles it, it's it, it befuddles me. I know they historically from David Hill and Goren they think of themselves as pirates and you know we we the home Murdoch you know don't listen to the elitist do stuff for the common man. Well, the common man's also telling you this is shit. So I don't really it, it's weird to me. It's weird that there wouldn't be some adult in the room saying, you know, man, we we do some pretty cool stuff on the on the big fox side. You know, we we our the, our, our baseball broadcast was really, really good, and a studio show, kind of, we found something cool, and we're improving on our college football coverage, and we do NASCAR pretty good, so it just surprises me that they'd be cool with, like, these knuckleheads who are just sort of screaming anything left and right about LeBron James and Aaron Rodgers as the face of their cable franchise, but again, that is, they have made clear that they are cool with that. Yeah, how, how, in, how, in my naive thinking, just surprises me. How long do you think that'll last, though? I think it lasts as long as whatever the contracts are for the executives who are running FS1, right? And then we'll see if they get we'll see if they get re-upped. I I do know that you know, and you know this too, Robert. Studio shows are cheap. If you own the studio, all you're doing is paying for talent. Uh, reporting, journalism, highlight shows—they cost money, and that's the trend we're heading. So, you uh, know, what, what I want, what I wish people were measured on, is not necessarily the most financial solvent metrics if you get measured on just bottom line you know then i think cutting costs you're probably gonna be considered successful but again i just so do you think there'll be a day of reckoning i just don't know when so richard i think it's it's more than just cutting costs though because uh, you know really really i think all that should matter to fs1 i'm not sure it's all that does but all that should matter is acquisition of sports rights and uh you know to the degree that cutting costs it it does the fox which, which I, I think we both agree. Big Fox, for sure. 
Uh, well, I think it it, it does for uh, for FS1 too, right? Because you know the the dollar sixteen or whatever they're getting a month, it's not because of undisputed. It's you know co- co- college football, the, the college football, major league baseball, and NASCAR. you know what they so much of so the thing with them, and this will be an interesting story for the Austin Carps and the Anthony Krupies. That was a good podcast, by the way. I like that. I like Krupie a lot. Yeah. Is um, you know, the FS1 over this like eighteen months is going to be in a beautiful position with because of the Cubs. They're going to be able to take the ratings from this past year and charge big for this coming year. But eventually, that's, you know, they had a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That's not always going to be the case. They do have the Big Ten, which is a much better package now than they've had before. So you are right. They're, they're I mean, you know, their they're nonsense with their marketing slogan, own the fall, is just worth mocking. You should mock <laughs> Mulvey Hill at every turn on that. I don't, but, I don't uh, think he do, came but, up but with the that. Reality, yeah, the reality is they um, they do have better rights, and 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 that is what the network ultimately will sort of either make its bones on or not. And they do have some good fall stuff, but um, again, it's they're not. In, I think you would agree with this, Robert. They're not being known right now as we got great college football or we got great NASCAR. What FS1 is known for are dudes sitting on a set bloviating, and so maybe that's a marketing issue. Maybe the marketing issue changed that, although they don't want to change it. You yeah, know, they're pushed, that, they, they're, that's what they're putting out. Yeah, it's not clear. It's you know that's a, like a, a good a good question for for a focus group of real people who doesn't follow a bunch of sports media people. I mean, so for for me, I I clearly think the the marketing is the debate shows, and uh, I, I think that you know what got the promotional spots uh, during the NFL game uh, leads me to believe that it's totally. not just imaginary. So that's my next question for you. Do you, what, what do you think is going to get the, the uh, FS1 promotion uh, during the NFL games this year? Well, Jamie Harwood is still in charge. His, his pet shows are going to get them for sure. So undisputed. And I think Kyle coward and Nick Wright. I do think though, that they're going to push the football hard. They have to, they paid a fortune for college football yep. and you know, they, they have, uh, I'm not sure when the game is, but they have Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, they have big games. So uh, at least Fox is an overall. Maybe maybe Michigan, Ohio State's on Big Fox. I don't remember. Yeah, it is. Um, it's on Big so, Fox. Okay, so they'll, they'll they're going to push. I think some of their college football, but I think again, if you know life on the line, uh, I would be stunned if for the NFC divisional playoffs you are not seeing a rotation of undisputed uh, coward. The Nick Wright, Chris Carter shows being in the commercial slots during those games. I mean, I, I, I just think that's what they've bet on. So I would be stunned, which is amazing to me again, you know, and I can sort of play the devil's advocate that like the fact that you are getting these ad spots with 35 million, 50 million people watching it, how on earth are the shows not being watched by more people? Well, I think the, you know, the, the, the Cubs last year taught me that, you know, the, the real trick is, is to have people, you know, fall asleep watching FS1. That's how you get. That's You're how. Right. You, that's how you get people watching in the morning. It's true. Uh, I, think, it, I think. I think. I mean, the dirty little secret. I think your ESPN research people would would agree. Would be like, you know, I think so many of those years people fell asleep to sports center, right? And then you turn on the TV the next morning, and ESPN was on. And you just kept it on all day. Yep. Yep. I, I, I mean, I, and it, it's clearly it's not just, you know, people turning on their TVs and immediately turning the channel. Uh, people people turn on their TVs and, and quite a few of them stuck around. Uh, so, yeah, well, that's true. This behavior, behavior, behavior is tough in sports television to change. But if you can get them on your channel, I think a lot of times they they don't want to change. You know what I mean? There's 
humans are creatures of habit, and they do sort of – if they're watching something the night before that made that gave them pleasure, they'll stick on that channel a lot of times the next day. And clearly, especially with the Cubs and baseball, that gave so many people so much pleasure. I mean, those were – you know, the, 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 they had – it's one of the great story, sports stories of the – of uh, of our new century and or any century that, oh. that the fact that the Cubs won and they did this on essentially Fox's airwaves. Yep. Well, this year uh, I think more good fortune uh, for particularly for FS1. They have the ALCS this year, so you know you could you could you could oh, kind nice. of see you know some kind of Yankees Boston thing happens. Uh, they're going to have they're going to yeah, have a right. good run in the fall. Yeah, Astros. Uh, it's. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they can, the Yankees can probably make the playoffs no matter what. If they, if they get the Yankees in the postseason with a very exciting young team and a potential home run champ and judge, yep. numbers should be good. They're not going to be as good as last year because the Cubs are a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But um, but they'll be good. I mean, they'll give Fox credit. They, where, where baseball has really sunk on ESPN, it, it has worked for Fox in the last 12 months. And certainly on their regional networks, for sure. Oh, for sure on the regionals. Um, so, so Richard, I, I think I asked uh, Austin and John this. And I'm ask, I'm going to ask you and kind of frame it more specifically. Like, what what are uh, what are the big whether ratings or just general sports media? What are what are big things that you think should be focused on instead of Skip Bayless and all this other stuff that that aren't getting focus that aren't getting the focus that they should. Well, I, yeah, I think you have to try to focus on everything. In terms of, um, you know, in terms of ratings, I think obviously, and people will focus on this, but the big, the big, the, the next big rating story coming up is going to be the NFL, and we're going to sort of identify and learn and see how much of last year was an anomaly, yep. how much of it might have been a blip, how much of it is real. I mean, that's to me coming up one of the really interesting stories, and that crosses over from, um, from. Sports media to oh, excuse me. might have a fire truck on by. All right, the sounds in New York. There we go. That sound. Here. <laughs> uh, a little natural sound. Though. I like it. Uh, I, I have hopefully, the, hopefully everybody's okay. Same rules as your podcast. Uh, I like the natural ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Um, in terms of sort of what's under, I, I I'm always one who is interested in some of these minor sports. And letting the public know what's up, like you know, as we're taping this, college baseball did incredible numbers, yep. and that's a story that's worth putting out there and letting people know. I'm always interested when college softball does well because I don't think the public has any idea just how well the college uh, women's World Series does, and it does like ridiculous numbers comparatively to what you might expect. Yep. Um, so in terms of rating stories, I'm I'm really interested in like the smaller niche sports and how they do. I'm interested in how what kind of traction esports is going to get over the next year or so, both on Turner and ESPN and other places. But I'm, you know, generally speaking, I'm I'm very much a big sports person when it comes to ratings. And my focus, at least when it comes to, to ratings um, this fall, is going to be squarely on the NFL. And um, and I think, like John, both of us agree, we think the ratings are going to be up. Uh, we would be very surprised. If not, I just think the, the games will be better, for one. Two, you have star quarterbacks uh, here at the beginning of the year, including Brady. Right. Um, I wouldn't expect Cam Newton to have as bad a year as he did last year. I think they'll, you know, quarterbacks ultimately draw and star in this league. Um, Dak Prescott's a star now. Last year, Romo was out. So you have the best team in terms of television with a star young quarterback. That's going to be good. And I think if I remember right, the Cowboys are on national TV a lot early. So I, if I had to bet, I would bet NFL ratings will be up. And then the NFL with their 
billion dollar marketing machine is going to put that story out there into the marketplace. So you're going to see it everywhere. Yeah, be my prediction. Yep. Uh, how, how do you think it's going to go uh, in terms of in terms of media coverage, Twitter coverage uh, for Tony Romo uh, first week of the season? Say that one more time. How do you think it's going to you know the media coverage and the Twitter the Twitter uh, applause or, or shouting down is going to go for uh, Tony Romo for his uh, first regular season? Oh, for game. Tony Romo, yeah, that's interesting. I think um, you know he enters a very very difficult position in that he is. Uh, he has to learn on the fly with the most, uh, you know, the biggest and most watched games that CBS does. He's going to have a lot of help with him. The best crew, Jim Nance is going to certainly take care of him. And Jim Nance is a professional broadcaster in terms of, um, in terms of sort of just guiding a broadcast, whether you like him or not. Um, I, I think, like everything else, the devil will be in the details. If Tony, if Tony Romo prepares and he takes the job seriously and he really works hard at it, I think he will progressively get better every week and he has struck me at least every time I've interviewed him as someone who will do that. He's also yeah. not, a, he wasn't a star when he started out at quarterback. So part of his pathology, I think is to, to overperform given that he was a undrafted free agent, but it's, he's going to make mistakes. And I think if he knows that, and if I think CBS and he and the brass just don't overreact to what people are saying on Twitter or people are writing like me, I think, I think he could eventually be okay. Uh, the trick, the, not the trick, I should say. The difficulty for Tony Romo is he's now learning in a universe where literally every moment of your commentary is judged. Where guys like Madden, when they first came into the booth, that didn't exist. You may write a letter to somebody, you know, there may right. be like some Rudy Marksy commentary saying X, but today, literally, if Romo mix, mistakes a jersey, if Romo says something that people think are too pro Cowboys, it's going to be a talking point oh, that's on interesting. social media. He, yeah. just has to, he just has to avoid that. What I would do, if, what I would tell Tony, if I was a CBS person, was to pretty much uh, shut down reading your mentions. You, you got to always put stuff <laughs> out there because that's just the world we live in. Yeah. But I just wouldn't read my mentions for a while in any social media form. And then maybe by like week ten, you start reading it. Um, but it's tough. He's Jay Cutler is in a far better position to succeed. Because he's on the second team, and he's also got an analyst with him in the booth, in Charles Davis. Right. So, uh, at, at the risk of uh, of being exposed by old takes, exposed, I, I'm going to predict Romo's actually Romo's going to be okay from week one. He's going to be okay. I, I don't. I don't think that's. I mean, I don't think it's a crazy take. It's also subjective. So, you know, your okay is not somebody else's okay. But I, I again, I think from from having talked to him, he strikes me as a guy who's going to take it seriously and not just try to show up on his laurels. And if he does that, he's you know, TV can be taught. What, what's going to be tricky for Tony is, like, for all these guys, you gotta you got to learn to talk with a producer in the air. you got to learn where to look. you got to learn where to stand. you got to understand you only have 25 seconds sometimes to get your take in. That, that's the mechanics of TV. Are, a lot of it is about repetition and reps. And once he gets more comfortable with that, um, he'll be okay. But he's not going to be a boom guy. He's not going to be a scream guy. He's much more of a, a low-key kind of... Uh, intellectual take type. So we'll also see how that plays in terms of the broadcast. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to have you back on uh, right before NFL season. We'll, we'll, we'll check in. I'll have had some, some pregame, but I'm, I'm going to have to kick you to the curb. This podcast is, uh, it's going Deitch length. How long was it? It's, it's, it's about as long as one of yours. And I've, I've tried to kind of stay away from that. Not, not be, it works for you. I don't know if it works for me. Um, I and, mean, Andy, Andy Gray, Andy, my colleague, Andy Gray, said you just, you fail because this is like 14, 14- might be like 2,000 words instead of 
Uh, I, I, I think, I think it'll be fine. Richard, thank you very much for, uh, for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you it. You got it, Robert. Thank you. All right. Success. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Richard Deitch for ending a big week of podcasts for me that also included advertising agents Anthony Krupe and sports business journals John Rand and Austin Karp. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Past episodes include Jonathan Tannewald of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Oriana Schwint, formerly of Variety, but uh, now exploring Centerville, USA, ESPN PR's Derek Volner, and uh, Bill Gorman, who was the brains behind TV by the numbers. Next time on the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with at Sports TV Ratings, Aaron Solomon. Aaron is the uh, producer for ESPN's Around the Horn. Alexa, please play the Sports Illustrated media podcast with Richard Bench. Music by R U B I O isn't included with Prime, but is available with Amazon Music Unlimited.